This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wongal people and the Yagara Turrbal peoples. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Strap in. Buckle up. It's story time, folks. This is Australiana Rama. This episode contains swear words and large quantities of sugar. All right, Maddie. Jessica. This evening, today, yeah. I'm going yeah. to tell you about McRobertson's, which was. Yeah. Sure. It was an Australian like confectionery company, which was eventually sold to, to Cadbury. But it's a surprisingly wild ride. So my brain and my body is ready. Strap in to learn about, among other things, the invention of the cherry ripe. I just finished the last of my Easter chocolate, so it feels right. That's nice. Oh, I've got some like I always get like discount chocolate the day after Easter, like the day after oh, Valentine's yeah, Day. Mm-hmm. So I've got some some lint around, which I will eat maybe after this. And that's the end of the pod. Thank you. Good that's night. the pod. Thanks so much for coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. McPherson Robertson. What a name. Two last names, but that, that's a first name and a last name. Uh, McPherson Robertson was born in 1859. That was a long time ago. Long time ago. But, yeah, so from Scotland, his, well, his parents had moved to Ballarat during the gold rush, mm-hmm. as one did. Didn't Natural. go great. Um, his dad kind of abandoned them for a bit, went to Fiji to plant cotton while they went back to Scotland. This whole thing mm. where they eventually came back to Australia and their, his dad rediscovered them in Melbourne again, like five years later. Oh. And was walked into a butcher shop and was just like, has anyone seen my family? Um, and in that shop was McPherson Robinson. And the butcher said. All about- <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> so strange family dynamic. But anyway, so there's this young man, McPherson Robertson, who had like worked in a confectionery shop for a bit in Scotland and then got an apprenticeship at the Victorian Confectionery Company as well mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Victoria, obviously, when he was 15. And he'd already had like several part-time jobs by the age of 10, like being a paper boy. I mean, who had it in the 1850s or whatever it was? Truly, I think. <laughs> he was lucky to make it. Um, to make it to still adulthood. be alive. <laughs> Truly. Um, but, yeah, but his mum made him keep going to school and good on her. Young Mac, as we're going to call him for now, and then old Mac as Mac he ages, Daddy. Mac or Mr Mac, um, he, his first, like, workshop was in the bathroom of the family home. Um, um, he was just making lollies over the bath. Um, okay. Don't like how sanitary that is, especially before the invention of penicillin. Mm, truly. Well, I mean, is this pre-penicillin? Doesn't matter. No, anyway. Sure, it wasn't readily available. <laughs> no. He worked at a butcher, not a pharmacy, so that's... Yeah, we're me. still in the 1800s here. Um, he wrote, at some point he wrote a rom- quite romanticised um, autobiography called A Young Man and a Nail Can. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say <laughs> lollies in the loo. <laughs> well, that would be good too because that's, that's accurate. We'll um, released with an amendment. Mm, that'll be good. But, yeah, so he had like he'd used a, a, like a nail can to make a tiny furnace and he had a scrap metal bench over the bath um, and so he'd make his like sugar. It was like sugar like mice and things, so he's making lollies. I mean, in his defence, this was peak 
kids playing with sticks and hoops era. Mm. So, like, there wasn't much around to play with, so. Yeah, this is in 1880 (laughs) in Fitzroy in Melbourne. That's when he started it in his bathroom. That's very Um, Melbourne of him. Mm. <laughs> started artisanal small business but anyway keep going he's a trendy dude mm-hmm. um but yeah in the early years of the business he'd like walk the streets with a tray on his head going to local shops to go to get them to, <laughs> to buy the End sentence. <laughs> to get them to buy the lollies that he'd made in his bathroom and then <gasps> eventually got like other employees he had two assistants and they moved it to the backyard uh, and oh, then eventually became officially McRobertson's Steam Confectionery Works, mostly mm. known as McRobertson's, because um, his name is obviously McPherson Robertson. So he oh, named after himself. So yeah. he's, he's McRobertson now, um, or Mr. Mac, which is pretty good. If you were to stick your two names together for a business, what would it be? But see, I've just got Jessica 80 is just. Oh, a, yours like, is boring. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. not it's not two last names. Mine would be Mixon, which sounds like Mixon. a fun cocktail and or like kombucha sex shop. <laughs> Mixon. <laughs> so versatile. Oh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> okay, so humble beginnings of the business. Very um, much so. Quite a larger than life personality, apparently. But, yeah, so the business just continued to expand to the point that he's opening up a factory in Fitzroy in Jesus. Melbourne again. So this is all in Melbourne. And as he, as the business expanded, he adopted what's called a vertical business model. So he's got sure. the, the chocolate factory and then just lots of different, like, subsidiary. subsidiary. Don't look at me for yeah. help. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of like smaller companies rather than outsourcing. Yeah. So like he's made the chocolate, you need wrappers and someone needs to design and produce those. Um, yeah. And so the company that he built for that became one of the largest printing companies in the country and he couldn't get a good supply of condensed milk. So he formed. Oh, I have a, that problem all yeah. the time. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with some other confectionery manufacturers, he formed the Federal Milk Property limited thing which made condensed milk and then they sold off the surplus like as far afield as Asia and Africa like that was a big thing um and then he wanted glucose like a reliable local supply and there wasn't one so he started May's products in 1913 then another company called Primary Products which is near Kingaroy in Queensland and so then he's making his glucose but then you need to put that in something so he had the federal (laughs) cask company speak for yourself (laughs) I like to carry my glucose in my bare hands. <laughs> right in my veins. Um, yeah, they always call me sticky hands mixing down at the cabo. <laughs> that they do. Um, yeah, so so they made the, like, casks for that and so then they sold those, like, in barrels to people who made beer and whiskey and vinegar. But oh, then yeah. how do you make those those barrels? You need timber. So he had the Jesus Federal Christ. Timber Company, which is getting local timber in Victoria. He had a wax paper business, a business that made sterilizers to remove parasites from the raw materials. And because of this, like the the business like largely survived and thrived during the First World War because he'd built up this reliance on getting local raw material. And other people like they were had been relying on lots of like imports, imports. and then couldn't get it where he had he'd made it. See, the list started off impressive. 
And then I it got to the point where it was like, is this man a control freak? Is he okay? Like it's very impressive, but it's also like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, like he I think a little bit it's just it's a lot like it's a lot to do business man and yeah he just also he employed so many people um well I would hope so yeah (laughs) and well like during (laughs) during the depression in the 20s when things had started to like they had some like mechanical plants now like because technology existed Uh, you don't have to explain why I just believe that he did yeah at this stage (laughs) because things had gotten more like you know, sophisticated and, and fancy, but so he turned off some of those, like, machines and stuff and re-employed people because there oh, was right. a lot of, like, yeah, so he, like, reduced the output a little bit because you could do things quicker with the machines. So this was the beta version of JobKeeper. Yeah, except he just decided to keep employing people. <laughs> he didn't cut he it could. off after 12 months. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, um so i'll come back to the factory in a bit but i want to talk about a couple of things that mcrobertson's made or like introduced to the country because mr mac went to america in 1893 um and he visited like wrigley's gum and other other people uh-huh. and he like learned to mix caramel Good. and so one of the things from that trip was that he brought back like fairy floss or cotton candy as it's called in america mm-hmm. to australia so that's he was responsible for that and he also made chewing gum better how? Because, well, at this the time, is really important. Truly, well, what what was a, he? I mean, Wrigley's was already doing it. He did, was the first one to do it in Australia. Okay. Because um, what was available in Australia at the time, like the gum, was made of like paraffin wax mostly, oh. and apparently had a really awful aftertaste, and um, was highly flammable. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say paraffins. Also, like the whole point of gum is for your mouth. To feel nice, you want a nice mm. mouth feel. Yeah. Otherwise, why would you? No, there's a bad aftertaste. I wasn't allowed gum as a kid at all, mm. and so I always put it up on like a pedestal because mm. I wasn't allowed it. But my nan had it, and she would sneak me packets. What sort do you know? Rickley's, PK, mm. original black. Yeah, it was a hustle that we had. I like juicy fruit. She's um, a runner. Yeah, so gum that tasted good and wasn't like a fire risk, was a big deal. (laughs) I'm sure that the fire risk gum has other uses in some kind of technology, just not in the human mouth. Surely. Um, But McRobertson's pepsin gum, as it was called, came in flavours such as celery, cafe clove, cola, tutti frutti and trilby, whatever that is. It's a hat. I don't know if it's what the flavour would have been. Tastes like hat. Is it evening gum? Maybe. Maybe it is. Um, and, like, it was marketed as a health product, which was normal at the time. Well, for yeah, that sort of everything thing. was. <laughs> yeah. Olive oil, it's good for you. Mm, delicious. So chockies, that's mm-hmm. the big one. These are the big things. Um, so the cherry ripe, yeah. which is a big deal in Australia, not a big deal elsewhere. People don't have it. No. So no. if you don't know what a cherry ripe is, I don't like them. But that's oh, I, I love them. See, I don't like coconut because the inside. My nan like- used to sneak me those as well. Good on your nan. Yeah, she's a good egg. Legend. She's good on like a Facebook comment too. She's she very is. supportive. All caps. Mm. <laughs> very supportive. <laughs> right in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so cherry ripe, it's like coconut and cherry on the inside and then it's dark chocolate on the outside. Oh, 
And it's not, the, the distinction is that it's not that bullshit cherry lolly taste that I hate. It's mm. like a real cherry taste. Mm. Like, mm, I'm yeah. very, I have strong opinions about that. Mm. I mean, fair enough. It's yeah. almost patriotic of you to have these. It opinions. is. It's the most patriotic I get. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, old gold, the dark chocolate. And that's one oh, that's yeah. kind of gone further afield, um, is popular. And the Freddo, obviously, Freddo Frog. Mm-hmm. And well, the Freddos. Freddo was originally going to be a mouse, um, but apparently, oh. an, an employee whose name was Harry Melbourne, and like he Classic. lived in Melbourne and he worked in Melbourne. Um, he he apparently, and I'm paraphrasing, was like, "Dude, women and children are scared of mice. Go with a frog." So I mean, the frog. Like weird to gender it, but I do think the frog is better. Yeah, the frog is better. And originally, they were just called like one penny. Frogs, because that's what they were. That's how yeah. much they cost. And that, but then they got the name Freddo, and Freddo Frog was painted on the back of a lot of the delivery trucks, so that it looked like it was waving when the doors opened. Oh like yeah, yeah, yeah. I obviously it wouldn't have been the ones from these times, but I remember seeing those as a kid. Yeah, like, so I think that, they must have brought that back as a thing, or, or it just never stopped happening. Perhaps. I mean, I did live on the Sunshine Coast in the nineties, so <laughs> it's just the original van. It's a time warp. <laughs> The first car. He was an early adopter. Op- uh, uh, he was an early adopter of the automobile, which we'll come back to actually. Okay, naturally. Um. Yeah. So Fredo and snack, like snack chocolate, because it's a Cadbury thing still. It's like all the different, oh, flavors. The different ones. Oh yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's shit. like different flavored fillings and like milk chocolate. Mm. Mm, and I that, like the pineapple. Mmm. That's mm-hmm. specific to Australia, which I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and they also made columbines, which is a caramel thing, something called Max Mints. There were milk kisses, sherbet fizzes, tip-top toffee, and something called Kilty Butterscotch, oh. a bunch of other things. Um, and he also had he bought a controlling stake in Lifesavers, oh. Lifesavers Ollies, in 1926 as well, um, and that eventually was sold to Nestle in the 80s. Like that didn't go to Cadbury. Mm. Yeah, Love so a Lifesaver. So these are all the things that he's producing in Melbourne on mass in a series of factories which were known as the White City. Uh-huh. Um, okay, I found this on the web for his factory. No, Siri. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> Stop. How do I make She's sure? so rude. Be quiet, Siri. <laughs> How do I... Stuff wouldn't give us an award for this podcast. She won't go away. Okay, do not disturb. Does that apply to Siri? I don't know. Okay, I, I don't even know how I've that happened. I've never had this problem. <sighs> That's so rude. Okay, so. <laughs> the White City. Yeah, the White City. So the in eight, by 1896, the factories covered three acres in Fitzroy and had 260 employees. Uh, Mr. Mack referred to them as co-workers. So he was like that. Um, oh, he would though. Yeah, he would, absolutely would. But Fitzroy at the yeah. time was pretty gross. Like it was really grimy and industrial. So yeah. he, in, to make all his factories stand out from all the other factories, he just painted everything white, everything. And all the... So Melbourne. 
he like branding baby like he is was all about it like he he is especially i mean as he aged his hair went white nicely which is good because he was already wearing white suits with like a big white hat and all his employees wore white Uh uniforms as well so they'd stand out and to like make everything seem like really clean and wholesome and also for this reason a lot of his Mm -hmm. factory workers were women partly because you know they're all packing chocolates into boxes so small hands is actually better. But a lot of it was for branding. It's like these people, the women were better at the job, but also he's going for like wholesome family cleanliness. Interesting. Yeah. Not because it was shift work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not all I think. Not like, because it was shift work? They could do more parenting? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's it's literally was just the, the small hands and branding. But my next thing that it, from what I could find, um, it seems like he was actually a really great boss and quite beloved and like one family who had three generations of people working at the factory. Um, like he, he bought them a house as a like, thank you for your loyalty to the company. Like things like that happened. Um, and he was actually like pretty. Because again, it sounds very nice, but also still a bit spooky. <laughs> mm, well, he's like. You know, as, it's a bit as, like Willy Wonka, it's all white. You can't leave. <laughs> yeah, well, it's I think he's the Australian Willy Wonka, but actually, no one not as creepy because Willy Wonka really creepy. This guy just definitely eccentric. I mean, yeah, problematically so. Mm. But <laughs> McPherson Robertson. It's always a fine line between eccentric and creepy. Mm. Where Mister Mac actually seems pretty cool. He was actually like pretty. I mean, kind of at like ahead of his time in terms of like workers' rights, which is pretty cool. Like he established an employees' sick and accident fund. He supported the union movement and the eight-hour day. Mm-hmm. Although <laughs> there's a, a complaint though from a, a like a local newspaper letter to the editor, um, a lady who worked there, just complaining about how strict the uniform rules were. Like you weren't allowed. <laughs> You weren't allowed to wear jewellery at work um, and the width of hair, hair ribbons was measured. Oh, well, I have that rule as well. Yeah. So, I mean, lots of cleanliness obviously was a, a big thing for for Mr. Mac. Like imagine just wearing, like he wore white clothes like all the time. No, nah, I spill stuff all the time. I spill a barn me and me today at work. Mm. Like absolutely not. And we're talking like. I mean, horse and cart, so like mud and stuff, and then early cars and like an industrial Pre nappy like, sin. I wonder if he also invented that because it's like someone's got to clean the uniforms. It used to be in gum. Um. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that's why it was so. Uh, that's what made it white. But yeah, so he seemed like pretty cool and like a good company to work for. Um, and my my mum called me the other day when I was at work um, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I need to, because obviously we'd said at the end of the last episode that we we're going to talk about the inventor of the cherry ripe. And apparently my grandpa, Pop Frank, who, cause, I mean, he, he died when I was like 10, but he was born in the 20s and one of his first jobs in like his late teens, I guess, was working at McRobertson's making cherry ripes amazing and apparently he loved that job it was like apparently it was great and like you got free chocolate oh. and it was just one of the random jobs that he had before the second world war so that would, would have been kind of like depression time when mr mac was hiring all these people which is cool so you have a true connection to this tale, mm. jessica yeah and mum didn't know anything else about it other than that he'd said it was great and he got free chocolate and he made cherry ripes thank you Kay, for calling mm-hmm. in if anyone else wants to call in with a chocolate-related fact. <laughs> we do want to know about it. We do want to know. Yeah. 
Uh, and most of the factory buildings are still there, but they've mostly been turned into some pretty bougie apartments. Naturally. Because Melbourne. I mean, as well as his million other businesses and many factory workers, he had a lot of creative advertising because, of mm-hmm. course, branding's mm-hmm. his thing. Um, the logo is is his signature. It's like nice calligraphy. So he's Mm -hmm. just showing off his nice handwriting. But most of the print ads that he ran had songs and poems and promotions Uh by celebrities. Mm -hmm. I mean, the one Willy Wonka-esque thing is there was a children's beauty contest (gasps) for pretty Australian children, so like an early toddlers and tiaras. Good God. And an air race. What? An air race, Maddie, and I've got it in capitals, air race. Um, What? (laughs) Okay. So we're we're taking a turn, a sharp oh. left turn, and then we're taking to the skies. It feels like it's going to be a safe and well thought out event. Actually, yes, because okay. um, in 1928 he'd bought a plane with a pilot whose name was Horry Miller, and they'd founded the McRobertsons Miller Aviation Company, oh, which yeah. like, <laughs> was um, it was like a Western Australian airlines, like from South Australia into WA for some reason. And well, I can't f- imagine many people were taking that flight. Well, they were. They were <laughs> though. It was eventually taken over by ANSET in 1963. I was me. Well, I mean, initially it was true. Okay, so he'd already he'd started this airline. Maybe he needed to transport many of the things for his many many businesses. Very likely. But in 1934, the McRobertson Centenary London to Melbourne Air Race. What? Occurred. London? London to Melbourne. Yep, 1934. Oh God. And so he had donated the £15,000 prize money and a fancy trophy. He'd provided that on condition that it be named after him. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that in him giving money. It's yeah, This must well. be named after me. He's, it's, it's genius. He really knew what he was doing. And one of the – he gave a lot of public speeches before the race, obviously, again, advertising, and I've got a quote. He said, Australia's geographical position has always been a commercial problem. One day I hope aviation can considerably minimise the distance in time between Britain and Australia. These aerial races should demonstrate very definitely that close contact between Britain and Australia could be achieved within three days. I mean – Yes, within mm. three. Within three days. That was his goal. And basically he wanted to do business quicker and he wanted there to be regular passenger services. So essentially he pioneered international air travel between Australia and the rest of the world. Wow. Thanks, bro. Not yeah. very useful to me right now. but <laughs> No. But I reckon one day I could do a more in-depth thing literally just about the air race because it's so interesting. It helped prove that it could be done and like these, like that air routes were viable. Yeah. Mm. We do have some listeners abroad and I just want to reinforce, just really clarify how long it takes to get to England from here today. Mm. It is longer than 24 hours. It is a day and a half yeah. in full transit. So, so back then mm. <laughs> it would have been a nightmare. He was really dreaming big. I won't go into now because it'll go, it'll just go too long because there were like different categories. Like there was the who can get there the quickest and then there was kind of one that had more rules and that's because he was trying to encourage like the commercial airlines to do it mm-hmm. and like show that you could do it like with passengers and viably and people did. Yeah, so air travel, chocolate, loves it. He has some other interests as well that he was known for. Um, he loved horses. Wow. They before there were cars, he had teams of big grey horses which I pulled the delivery wagons. Say, 
Before they were cool. <laughs> Before they were cool. It's like now no. they they've been quite popular for a long time. Of I think they've been cool fun. for quite a while. <laughs> I think you're fun. <laughs> <laughs> Before there were cars, um, the he had horses to pull the delivery wagons and they were so kind of well-known around town that they were used in parades and stuff as well. Yeah. There'd be Mick Robertson and his horses. And he also had two horses that were just his personal horses that he trained to do tricks like lying down, sitting and shaking hands. Yeah. Like dogs. Yeah. Um, My dad has done that. Amazing. And his previous horse whisperer life. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I've told you that, right? You have. I'm remembering now. It's not just puppetry. There's horse whispering. Well, in some ways, some would say it's horse puppetry. Um, Do they say that? I'm saying it now, aren't I? Great. You are. (laughs) Um, He also loved cycling. Like he frothed a bicycle. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Early early in his business, he he progressed from tray on on the head to to tricycle. So his first bike was a tricycle. Tricycle on the head. To do it, <laughs> no, to do his deliveries, and as as time went on, like lots of his ads for chewing gum featured bicycles, and they'd be like endorsed by professional cyclists, and some even said that they could repair tire punctures in an emergency. Oh Jesus Christ! Things like that. Um, I'll find them. some. There's some. There's so many good pictures of this that we can put on the Instagram. He needed another business, obviously, so he imported and sold bicycles from America mm-hmm. and added a bicycle department to the chocolate factory, as one would. <clears throat> um, I mean, sure. Mm. They had a shed load of rubber so they could make tyres, I guess. Yeah, they had everything they needed. Um, and then he naturally f- started a cycling school as well. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> and so they Did would do the cycle from London to Melbourne, or was that no? It was more stretch? more flashy. So it's like formations and musical riding and bicycle dancing and bicycle wrestling. Uh, I'm which not even going to ask follow up questions. I can't. I can't. I don't know how that's done. I actually, can't. I need a visual aid. Yeah. yeah so they performed time. at like events and garden parties and stuff. This bicycle school. And one thing that he advertised a lot. He had a side by side bicycle social, which was a weird oh. tandem bike, which you could sit side by side on the same bike. Um, Do you reckon any babies were made out of the bicycle social? Well, it was promoted for weddings so that the bride and groom can sit next to each other and ride well, their bike. That confirms. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> There's a really great picture of this bicycle social, which is just wild. And he also loved cars. He was one of the earliest people to have a car at all in Australia. He first got one in 1902. Mm-hmm. And there were no laws like specifically applying to cars until 1909. And yeah, you can just do what you want. Yeah. It's kind of everyone else had to figure it out because all the rules they had applies to like a horse and car. Mm. Um, he was also the first driver in Victoria to be involved in a, a fatality on the road. Oh, very no. first one. Um, in 1905, he hit a man on a street corner um, and then, like, you know, popped him in the car and drove him to the hospital, which was normal at the time. You hit someone, you take them, like, there's not an ambulance. Yeah. But he did die but and there was an inquest which found that the man was was drunk and that Robertson was not technically responsible but that would have been grim because those are those like cars that are you're like open to the elements yeah and there were just weren't any road rules so of course people got hit by cars yeah mm. gum couldn't fix that problem I'm afraid apparently not <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> anyway, so he was a first. Most of the things that he did first were really great. This one was quite that tragic. One was, that one, we, we won't bring it up again. Yeah, no. So in 1928, he did... This is, this is also the same year that he bought his first plane. I was going to say, um, we're still in the fucking 20s. We've been we've here jumped, for a while. We've, we've, we've jumped around a bit, but he did the Round Australia Expedition, which <sighs> was an Oldsmobile, which is a very old car, again, the open, and two trucks, which, of course, were heavily branded, and they circumnavigated Australia. Which and was, people just went out to see a car because they hadn't seen a car before? Or like- well, yeah, because well, it, it, they left Melbourne on the 12th of May and came back on the 12th of September. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And with the, in the trucks they had like movie equipment because they would set up and do like remote like cinemas as they were going and they'd obviously have lots of products and a radio presenter who was documenting the trip. And there's lots of photos of the cars bogged on unsealed roads Mm -hmm. but it did show people the potential of cars in the outback and like that was the goal and because he wanted to like expand his his market and expand like just distribution networks and get people to drive around the country more this guy isn't Willy Wonka his bloody his business is like Apple he's (laughs) he's Mr Capitalism like It's wild. Steve Jobs. It's where he's like, you have to wear this uniform and the shops have to look like this and you're going to buy into this new technology and it's going to be amazing. Except Everyone come on board. I just Because there's not really an equivalent because it's just so far-reaching and in so many different things. Yeah, and so, there, I mean, there's photos of them in like really remote communities um, bothering the locals essentially. Well, um, yeah. But, yeah, and especially with like the radio show, it meant that it was people learning about different parts of Australia that they wouldn't mm. have otherwise, you know, so connected things by road. And apparently he was really fit. It's, this was pointed out into his old age that he worked out daily, which was really odd for the time. I just think mm. he's very hyperactive. Yeah, um, I was like, that doesn't actually surprise me for some reason. Mm, wants people to look at him and he's like happy, healthy, very, very busy, busy, busy man. Yeah. Really into croquet many and movies. Cherry ripes. No, or maybe he was. I don't know. Who I can't. We don't have that you. information. Can't confirm um, tonight. He started the McRobertson International Croquet Shield, which still exists. Um, and it is obviously a croquet competition, which is played every three or four years in rotation between mm. Australia, New Zealand, the UK and the US. And like ever, it says three or four, like it doesn't, it's not as set in stone like the Olympics. Yes. Whoever's, yeah. I don't know. But people who play croquet are a bit like, you know, if the weather's good. Yeah, we'll do it when we do it. So yeah. he was into that. He really did have like a pretty enormous legacy because like, he was really generous with money and with donations, uh, but generally on the condition that his name be attached to any building or event that came from that money. So or in 19... 19- trophy. Yeah, exactly. In 1933, he gave £100,000, which is a lot of money, to the state government. Yeah, and this was, again, like depression. Mm. So he gave it to the Victorian government to celebrate the 100th year anniversary of Victoria because that was 1934. This is is when the air race is happening. He's also given £100,000 to Victoria and 40000 of that was specifically for a girls' school when women's education was not in vogue or like financially a good idea. And so that was then that school still exists. It's McRobertson Girls High School. It was formerly... Uh Melbourne Girls High. It was renamed when they got the money in the new buildings. Well, yes. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and then the rest of the money was spent on a fountain in the gardens, which is the McRobertson 
fountain. Um, the McRobertson's Bridge over the Yarra River was built. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also a new building for the National Herbarium. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this was during the Depression and created hundreds more jobs as well for people to build all these things, um, again, all with his name on it. And also in 1929, he'd given £10,000 to Sir Douglas Mawson um, for his expedition to Antarctica. And so a small part of the Australian territory in Antarctica oh, is called Jesus. McRobertson's Land. Um, and apparently um, he... <laughs> that's a lot to process. At there's boats. At night there's this. all these things. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> apparently... His motivation for that was that, you know, he was he was trying to establish a whaling industry. He thought it would be good to see if that could be done and also like mineral things because this, oh, this is the 20s. No. It was yeah. a very different time. Still bad. Yeah, he's just looking for different potential business opportunities, seeing what's available. Maybe why not try Antarctica? Give it a crack. Steal uh, a and whale. Truly, if you could. Name after yourself. Nice white whale. So yeah, that's what I think it was. I think he wanted a photo with a white whale. And Antarctica's ah. on brand. Nice crisp white snow everywhere. White. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was have tiny hands. They do. <laughs> They'd be perfect. So I just had a vision of like, because Willy Wonka obviously has his little like slave slave labor on Balumpas, yep. maybe penguins. I wender if the Roald Dahl have a union, knew about. I think it's okay. <laughs> do you reckon Roald Dahl was aware of Mr. Mac? Of small people or penguins? Oh. Of McPherson. <laughs> I was about to say, I think he was aware of both. It's more about how he used them in the literature, but this problem. is not a review. Wow. We're getting towards the end of my notes. Anyway, so he and he was knighted in the 30s for the Antarctica stuff and his general philanthropy. But he didn't do anything in Antarctica. He just gave them some well, money. He, he funded the expedition. Yeah, but he didn't do the expedition anyway, whatever. Um, that was part of the, that was one, uh, one, I, I one thing. I understand, I understand. But, yes, they wouldn't have been able to go to Antarctica if they hadn't have gotten the money from someone. I mean, they could have done a chocolate box sale. Well, maybe they you did. Know, well, fundraisers? You really? You with your chocolates? Well, that's you essentially, could, could that. that is what he's done, extremely large-scale chocolate selling yeah, no. See, business. no, no. <laughs> It's not, it's not the same. It's not the same. And then giving those proceeds. You know, teach a man to fish, give a kid a chocolate box, fundraiser raffle. <laughs> the same thing. Teach Pop Frank to make a cherry rye. Yeah, we may not have got to Antarctica for another 50 mm. years, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Cooked. Yeah, so his sons and then grandsons were heavily involved in the business and, like, McRobertson's continued. It thrived. And then eventually they sold it on to Cadbury in 1967, who kept the bangers, you know, the cherry ripe, old gold, Mm -hmm. Freddo, snack, delicious. Because, like, Cadbury in the UK has a different snack. It doesn't look Mm. much good. It's like a kind of wafery biscuit thing covered in chocolate or something like that or like a little cake. It's grim. Yeah, it looks really sad. So I feel like that's been a bit chaotic, but that's what I've learned. I had no idea. I think our episode being chaotic actually just reflects his snack chocolate approach to life a little but bit literally like a pineapple treat over here a strawberry square over here oh what is that a coconut no it's turkish delight baby <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect but literally like iconic it would be enough just to have invented the cherry ripe like we could have i could have just yeah. that's what i thought i was doing i'd be like oh this man made cherry ripes and freddos 
Yeah. I thought that's what I would discover in my research. Maybe I'd learn something about the the process. (laughs) I thought I might learn about like the process of chocolate making. No, none of that. He pioneered air travel and roads and schooling for women and oh, there's just so many things like unions and pretty impressive yeah well because like they're having like an employee's like sick and accident fund that was a big deal at the time like sick pay it's a big deal now yeah <laughs> and the rehiring people in the depression was pretty cool yeah i just can't get over it's like companies on companies on companies just didn't Again, want to snack, outsource anything snack chocolate you i love snack do you have a, you like the pineapple? I like the pineapple. It's just a zesty time. I also like the orange. I also like mm. the strawberry. I like all of the snacks. I it's like them all. It's very rare that I like every chocolate that's in, like a ch- suite of chocolate mm. flavors. But the pineapple's special, you know? Mm. Yeah, special. I mean, I don't I don't need the caramel because like, I could just no, get, could that's, that's a different genre to me. Like if I want it's a caramel, I'll get it. It's I'd get a zesty. caramello. Yeah. 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 But I like the Turkish delight being included in. in I'll snack. allow it because rose water. It's close enough. That's true. And there's like a strawberry one, but then there's like a light pink, which I'm never sure what that's meant to be. It's yum. Like there's two uh, different pink ones. Isn't there strawberry and Turkish delight? No, there's another. There was always another pink one. Because <sighs> the strawberry it has a strawberry on it. And you have the answer to this thriving and thrilling conversation. <laughs> Send us an email. <laughs> well, because there's different shapes on the the chalky pieces, like, and there's one that's just kind of got a rectangle on it, but it's just yeah. I thought that one was the like the the coconut white one, or it's like it's not it's not actually coconut. It's called like bliss or something. Like, it's mm, maybe that is what I'm thinking of. Just vague halfway flavor. between coconut and vanilla or something like that. Mm, I don't know. Anyway, I <gasps> I want a strawberry freddo. Often I buy them at work because they're on sale at the cafeteria, and I will I want one. I like a strawberry freddo because that it's like a snack, but it's a yeah freddo. Okay, well that's um, will, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> I want a strawberry snack, but I want it to be shaped like a frog. Okay, so that's what I've got. I learned that you can be a master of all trades and not just a jack of all trades. Mm. And like he literally came, like he didn't have anything. Like he started a business in his bathroom. Hey, he had a tray on his head and That's a dream true. in his heart. Started a business in his loo. <laughs> um, Some would say that I do that every day. Ayo. <laughs> I'm keeping that in, Matthew. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you like the sound of my voice, um, you might like my comedy in person. Um, so if you're in Sydney on May 1st or May 2nd, I'm doing a show at the Sydney Comedy Festival. It's called Rido Dahl. Um, it's musical comedy. And, yeah, come along. Tickets are absolutely available. Um, so bring everyone that you know if you're in Sydney. And if you're in Brisbane on the 23rd of April, I have a play reading called Garbage Patch with Dead Puppet Society at La Boite Theatre Company. It's a comedy. Um, there's monsters and shit. Uh, come along. It'll be fun. Yeah, and then tell me what it's like because I will be in Sydney and I can't go. <laughs> Send us an email. We release episodes every Monday. Uh, and next week it's Maddie's turn. What have you got? It sure is. It's a story that's near and dear to my heart and my hometown. I'm going to talk about Australia Zoo and the Irwin family. Hey, hey. Mm-hmm. Get ready. Crikey, as they say. Crikey, indeed. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Australianorama. Uh, I'll put a bunch of pictures of McRobertsons and stuff up on the Instagram. You can send us an email at Australianorama at gmail.com. Send us an episode request. 
Tell us about your chocolate dreams. That's creepy. Don't do that. Bye. Okay, my sources. So Victoria Collections had a really good story, which is curated by the History Teachers Association of Victoria and the Royal Historical Society of Victoria. Super useful website. Um, There was stuff on ABC Local, the Australian Dictionary of Biography and Wikipedia. We need to go before I keep talking about pooing. (laughs) Maddie needs to poo. Okay. (laughs) That is a lie. No, not right now. Not right now. Well, we'll see what happens in the editing. Um, 